This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, buying tickets to your favorite shows these days, well, sucks. From insane prices to bots buying hundreds of seats, it seems like the bigger the event, the bigger the headache. Colorado Senate Bill 60 hopes to crack down on some of these shady practices, but will it be enough? And will Governor Polis sign it? Colorado politics state government reporter Hannah Metzger joins us today to parse out what exactly this bill does and whether it can make your summer concert season a little less painful. Today is Monday, May 15th. I'm Anne-Marie Awad in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hannah Metzger, welcome to CityCast. Hi, thank you for having me. Okay, so let's start from the very beginning. What does this bill do? Is there anything in here that music fans or sports fans should be particularly excited about? So what the bill would do is it would make a lot of uh, common industry reselling practices, deceptive trade practices. The biggest one, in my opinion, would be that it would prohibit speculative ticketing. So that is when companies sell tickets that they don't yet own. For example, like with Madonna's um, world tour that she announced earlier this year, before they even began selling tickets, there were websites all over the internet that were selling tickets for thousands of dollars, even though they had no access to them. And this is pretty common. Like some of the bigger legitimate companies do this as well. And they justify it as like, you're paying them to wait in line to buy a ticket for you. But a lot of people don't realize that when they're paying hundreds, thousands of dollars for these tickets, that they're not actually guaranteed to get them because the company they're buying them from doesn't have the tickets yet. Ah. It would also prohibit um, selling tickets that doesn't match its advertised description or selling a ticket without disclosing the total cost, including all of the fees. So you would have to know exactly how much you're paying up front. And they would also not be allowed to change the price once you've already selected it for purchase. And then it would further um, outlaw the use of bots to like circumvent online purchasing limits for tickets, even though that is already federally illegal. Which we're going to get into later because that was a little while ago. Yeah. um, And then it would also prohibit using similar web designs or URLs to try to give the impression that a website is legitimate and affiliated with an event that it's not. What do you mean? Like buying a ticket from a fake website? Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot of things. One of my coworkers actually brought this bill to my attention because they had had such a difficult time going to a festival. They bought tickets as like an anniversary present, and then they showed up at the festival just to find out that the tickets 
weren't real <gasps> and they couldn't get access and they had spent hundreds of dollars and there was nothing that anybody could do. They never got a refund and it was just kind of a nightmare for them. So that was like they bought them from what looked like a legit third party website? Exactly. Yeah. It was something where wow. you look it up online. One of the top links says tickets to this event. You click on it. Everything looks legit. It has logos of the event. And then you buy it and you don't find out until the day of that it's not a real ticket. Oh, my God. That does sound like a nightmare. And is that pretty common? Yeah. From what I've heard, it's very common. Mostly the people who have been testifying on this bill in particular have been venue owners throughout the state. And they've said that on a daily basis, they're turning people away who have fake tickets that were bought from third-party sellers or resellers or people who bought multiple versions of the same ticket and only the first person who shows up gets to come inside. Apparently, it's something that happens every single day. Okay. So our state lawmakers wanted to tackle this problem this year. Who were the original backers of the bill? So a lot of the groups that are backing the are venue operators, including National Western Complex, Ball Arena, Fox Theater, Red Rocks. But there's also one big group that's been backing it that's garnered a lot of controversy because Ticketmaster, which has been the group responsible for a lot of the recent ticket selling fiascos that we've heard about from Bad Bunny to Taylor Swift, they've also been a supporter of the bill from the beginning. A supporter? Yes. Oh, that is a surprise. I did not know that. Yeah, it's very interesting because for the most part, the bill really addresses reselling and third-party websites and scammers in that way. It doesn't do as much to address the primary sellers, which would be the Ticketmasters, the AXS, those kinds of websites. I see. So just like a side note here, we call scalpers resellers now? Like, is that just part of the digital ticket sale ecosystem? (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could also call them scalpers, but it would also apply to legitimate reselling websites like SeatGeek or Vivid Seats or those kinds of huge companies that people rely on. Interesting. And so going back to the venues, why are venues such big supporters of this bill? Do these kinds of practices hurt them as much as it hurts you and I? Right. Who it really hurts the most is the venues. Because when these kinds of third-party companies or scalpers buy all of their tickets, then the venues are under the impression that these events are sold out. Mm. And then they prepare for a sold-out show with their staffing, with their security, with their bar and their food. And then if these third-party websites aren't able to resell them, it turns out that the show has half or a third of the people that they prepared for. They lose money. A lot of times the tickets are returned and they have to issue refunds. So that's the biggest party that is going to be impacted by this bill. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So you mentioned Bad Bunny and Taylor Swift and federal <laughs> law already. We should get to that. Um, give us a taste of where the national conversation is on this, right? Because we've, you know, it's it's lots of large artists. The Renaissance Tour has just kicked off. I know that was a big source of ire among people who are trying to get tickets to that. Absolutely. So federally where the law's at is that in 2016, they passed the BOTS Act, which pretty much just outlawed using computer softwares to circumvent ticketing limits or to mass purchase tickets faster than a person would be able to do it themselves. But that really hasn't been enforced in the last seven years, obviously, as these issues are still very widespread, as we've seen. The FTC has only brought one case against violations of that law since 2016. So what? even though, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, so even though it, there are actions that are prohibited, there really isn't much enforcement as far as the ticket selling industry. That's why we see things like Bad Bunny and Taylor Swift incidents. Yeah, I mean, um, our host, Bree, uh, we were talking the other day about, I think this has sort of translated into like more hoops for everyone to jump through when they want to buy tickets to things. So she was talking about buying tickets to The Strokes great band, not Beyonce. <laughs> and, you know, she first had to pay a dollar to enter a lottery and then she has to be picked in the lottery and then has the chance to buy the tickets. And then, of course, the tickets at that point stack $50, $60 on top of just the face value. Um, is that just like the world we live in now? Like, is this bill going to do anything to make any part of that experience better? Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of those hoops that we're jumping through are put in place specifically to try to prevent these bots and these scalpers from being able to purchase all of the tickets at once. Um, and I'm not sure if this bill is going to be able to do anything about that. As I mentioned, those activities have been illegal federally since 2016, and that hasn't changed anything. This would reinforce that law and update some of the language to make it more modern. But for the most part, I'm not sure what the state of Colorado can do about these bots that the federal government can't do. Yeah, we were having sort of like a cranky old lady moment because uh, you also have to pay extra now to get a paper ticket, like as a commemorative thing. Maybe we should all just go back to paper tickets. That would solve this, right? No. <laughs> That's exactly what the sponsor of this bill was saying, but he didn't really? think anyone would go for it. I mean, yeah, I'm said... down. <laughs> I have off screen here. I have a little collection of like yellowed old ticket stubs. <laughs> I'd be down for that, too. But he said he doesn't think people want to wait in lines anymore. <laughs> so the big question is, is Polis going to sign this? What do you think? If I were to guess, I would say that I think he's going to sign it, but... It has bipartisan sponsorship and it had bipartisan support in both chambers. For the most part, the governor doesn't like to veto bills that are across the aisle like that, just out of respect for the process and for the parties. But he has until June 7th. He has a while to decide. An interesting piece of this is that um, 
just a week or two ago, there was an op-ed in the Denver Post from a couple of consumer rights advocates who were mm-hmm. urging the governor to veto it. Um, can you talk about what the sort of consumer protection argument against the bill is? Right. So those groups, they started out um, opposed to the bill from the beginning. And then they were in support of the bill briefly with amendments that were added by House lawmakers. And then in the final vote, those amendments got stripped out. So now those consumer groups are very upset about that. So that's why they're calling for the veto of the bill is because they feel that the protections that had been added were very important and they are upset that they've been removed. So those protections would have, the biggest one, would have required ticket sellers to be transparent about how many tickets they have and how many they're going to have mm-hmm. before the show. Because currently, like venues and promoters and agents, they'll hold back a portion of tickets when they're selling tickets to an event, whether it's for people with special access or people with codes or just to create some kind of like false scarcity that you want to buy the tickets now. Um, And that's a very common practice in the industry. And there was an amendment added to the bill that would have required them to be upfront about that. So when you're buying a ticket, you can see, oh, 4,000 more seats will go on sale before the event. Maybe I should wait when prices are lower or when better seats are available. But they removed that amendment and the consumer rights groups are very upset about that. And that's why they're calling for the veto. They think that provision would have equalized the bill because Mm -hmm. right now, as we've been talking about, the bill really does target resellers and these companies like SeatGeek, VividSeat, but it doesn't do so much to target companies like Ticketmaster, which have been responsible for so many of the big ticketing fiascos in the last few months. So their argument is that this would have made it fair across the industry. It would have helped consumers, no matter if they're buying from resellers or primary sellers. But by removing it, now it seems to benefit Ticketmaster Mm. and just hurt the resellers that are trying to compete. So it will improve this aspect of the ticket buying experience. But if you're expecting this to sort of uh, stick it to AXS or Ticketmaster, mm, it's not going to do that. Yeah, exactly. This isn't really going to target the people who have been responsible for some of the Bad Bunnies and the Taylor Swift incidents. But for the most part, I do think it will make ticket buying easier for consumers where there'll be less or hopefully there'll be less of these scam websites that are making it look like they're from the actual event that you won't accidentally purchase speculative tickets that you think are real tickets and then only find out the day before were from a company who weren't able to get a ticket themselves so you can't right, go to the right. show. And of course, they'll have to be upfront with how much everything costs. You'll be buying a ticket online and you'll be able to see fees and everything. This is how much it costs and they won't be able to change the price on you after you've already selected it for purchase. So all of those things are good protections. It might yes. not go as far as some people want it to go. But I do think if the bill is signed and enforced, that it can make a difference for individual consumers. Yeah, there's still some some big consumer wins in here for sure. Absolutely. Well, so we all know that Governor Polis is a big fan of these sort of stunt signing uh, ceremonies. Um, So if he does sign, I'd love to hear where you think he might do this one. (laughs) I could definitely see it being somewhere like Red Rocks, very picturesque, very good for a photo op. 
And as we know, they've been testifying in support of the bill. That would probably be my biggest guess for that. Nathaniel Rateliff, like right next to him. Yeah. <laughs> Lumineers make a performance. Lumineers everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Hannah Metzger, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. More than 250 families have signed a letter to the superintendent of Cherry Creek Schools demanding the school district take action against, quote, rampant anti-Semitism and harassment. CPR reports at a public meeting last week, Superintendent Christopher Smith apologized after hearing testimonies detailing harassment students have endured from their classmates. The district says multiple students are already facing disciplinary action. This comes only a couple of weeks after the Denver Post reported on the Ganzies, a black family who chose to leave the Castle Rock School District after their 14-year-old endured anti-black harassment and threats from other students. Last week, Governor Polis signed another bill into law that would limit XL energy bills after the company was widely criticized for posting record profits in the midst of a sharp increase in prices. The bill prevents XL from passing on certain expenses to customers like political lobbying, marketing or legal action. It also allows the state public utilities commission to set annual limits on how much XL can charge customers for gas. But don't expect a drop in your bill anytime soon. There's still a lot of rulemaking that needs to happen before it goes into effect. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Nathaniel Rateliff about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. All right, my first newscast in a few years.